0: Now, once again, with today's Carolina Newsmakers, here's Don Curtis.
1: We're back on Carolina Newsmakers. Today, we're talking about health care with Dr. Tunde Sutunde. And uh, I think I did it pretty good that time. Uh, the uh, He, of course, is president and CEO of Blue Cross Blue Shield that provides health care coverage to about 35% of all the citizens of the state of North Carolina We in the Segment number one, we talked about the COVID-19 situation. We talked about affordable health care and legislation in the second one. Today, we want to talk about the rising cost of health care, the rising cost of uh, prescription drug prices, and so forth. And, of course, the fact that people are living longer, and that also stresses the uh, financial burden of taking care of everyone. Um, The, uh, uh, you know, health care progress is is great, uh, but it has to be paid for. And uh, when we make advances that extend people's lives, we tax the system. Um, are we at a point where we can begin to look at uh, how we balance that off uh, between uh, progress and affordability?
0: Yeah, Don, so, you know, um, there is no question that, uh, healthcare in the United States is too damn expensive. And um, when you compare what we spend in the United States per capita on healthcare to what other industrialized nations spend, we spend about two to three times more than they do. And it gets even worse because the life expectancy, you just mentioned prolonging life, the life expectancy in the United States is much lower than in those other countries. So what that tells us is that we pay more for healthcare, but we get less in terms of value and outcomes. Now, the reasons for healthcare costs and the escalation or continued escalation in healthcare costs are multifactorial. We could spend all day. talking about you know, why it's this way in the United States, everything from the pricing structure for medical services and pharmaceutical services, pharmacy drugs and so on, to how we pay for those services, the lack of transparency with respect to what is the true cost of those services and why do we have so much variability for the same service? Not even variability state by state, but even within the same state, in the same county, in the same region, in the same locality. Why is there so much variability? And then of course, the disconnect or the misalignment between how we pay based on typically pay for volume and then as opposed to paying for value and outcomes. And then of course, as we all know, the fraud, waste and abuse that exists across the system as a whole. So then the, the question is, how do we solve for this? And are we making progress in that regard? I would say we're making progress. Uh, we're fi- fi- It finally, and I've been, like I said, doing this for about 20 years now, it finally feels like we're finally, the ship is finally beginning to turn the corner. Why? I'll say it's for the following reasons. One is we've come to the realization that how you engage the consumer. Notice I didn't say patient. We don't want to wait onto individuals become patients, how you engage the consumer is critically important in, in addressing affordability. Doing so in such a manner that you're addressing not just the physical, but mental, emotional, and social drivers of health. So what we often describe as a whole person approach to healthcare, but doing so in such a manner that places that individual at the center of healthcare decision-making. Don, how, when, and where do you want to access care? How, when, and where do you want to interact with us as a payer or the rest of us in the healthcare ecosystem? And what information, decision support tools, transparency tools are we placing in your fingertips in real time so that you can make informed healthcare purchasing decisions. At Blue Cross, we we were one of the first insurers, as an example, to roll out an online tool that allowed consumers to comparison shop for hundreds of procedures, services, and so on, by provider, by location, so that they could make informed purchasing decisions. So consumer engagement is one. The second is provider engagement. We have a disconnect done today in our system, healthcare system, where we traditionally, to the most part, reimburse providers for volume as opposed to value and outcomes. I would contend that if you pay anybody for volume, you're more likely to get more volume. If you, however, pay for value and outcomes, you stand a better chance of getting more value for your healthcare dollar and better outcomes. We at Blue Cross of North Carolina have a couple of years ago started rapidly shifting away from that old style fee for service system where you pay for volume, to reimbursing providers for value and outcomes. And we're rapidly accelerating on that journey. Third is us as payers. The role we play in not just addressing medical costs but administrative costs. Leveraging data, information, analytics so that we can identify patterns of care, who's most likely to be high risk for whatever condition and then intervene proactively. Leveraging technology, machine learning, artificial intelligence, all those tools that are being deployed in other industries to do things faster, better, cheaper to identify instances of fraud, waste, and abuse extracted out of the system. So consumer engagement and how we engage the consumer, provider engagement, how we engage the provider, and then the role we payers play is critically important in addressing the affordability um, crisis. And finally, we all don't have a role as society to play in advocating, all of us, for common sense healthcare policies, regulations, legislation, and so on, that drive towards one, providing equitable access to care. An example we talked about earlier was the Affordable Care Act, as an example. Policies that drive towards improving the quality of care, how that's delivered and how that's received. And that's where Leveraging data, information, analytics, interoperability standards that allow our systems in healthcare to speak to each other, no different than occurs in the financial services sector. Down where you and I, we we have our financial information at our fingertips, but we don't have our healthcare at our fingertips. That's a travesty in my mind. And then policies that drive towards making healthcare more affordable in entirety that address you mentioned drug pricing there needs to be drug pricing reform there's no question about that in my mind that align incentives to drive towards value and outcomes in terms of how we pay for services transparency around what the cost of those services are so all of us we we can't do that alone in healthcare all of us as a society have a role to play in that
1: I know that you are constantly uh, concerned about prescription drug prices and you negotiate, I'm sure, with drug companies all the time. I have a friend who has been taking a maintenance drug for 20 years uh, uh, almost, it's, uh, or 15 years anyway. It's a drug that, of course, was developed a number of years ago. The interesting thing he told me the other day was at one time he was paying 50 cents a pill and now he's paying nearly Three and a half, uh, $3.50 appeal. Now, this is a drug that's been around for 15 years. How can the drug companies justify raising the price of that drug? I mean, that, that's that, I mean, God, lies I mean, the problem. They, they've got him because he's got to have it. It's yeah. a maintenance drug. In,
0: in there lies a the problem. There's no transparency.
1: Yeah. Well, I guess that's going to take some sort of federal legislation to look yeah. into that sort of thing because that, that that just doesn't seem right to me that a drug that's been around for 15 years would go up in price that much. Yeah. yeah. So, I, And I know that you guys are concerned about it because you're the ones paying the bills and passing it on to the consumer. Uh, uh, preventive health care, of course, is also an important part because if people uh, take better care of themselves, then health costs is going to come down
0: somewhat. Absolutely, which is, again, why I use the term, how we engage the consumer. You know, you know this, Don, because um, you've lived in this world. You know, if, if you're engaging the, the patient, <laughs> that's not after the fact, because now they are patient. you got to engage, you know, proactively. And that's where preventive healthcare, and, and again, I was stress not just physical, but addressing mental, emotional, and the social drivers—you know, those social, economic, and environmental factors—that impact one's health.
1: Well, we all were taught some things when we were, especially in my age group. Uh, I, I can remember that uh, people would look at little babies and say, "What a healthy, fat little baby that is!" I mean, weight was considered healthy, and of course, we've—it's turned out that health weight yeah. was not necessarily healthy. Yeah, that yeah, is. of course. And of course, our diets and things of this nature—we were taught to eat some things that uh, uh, are not necessarily good for us. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I guess all of that goes into education, and as you said, uh, 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 getting these points across to uh, multi generations.
0: Yeah, it's it's all about preventive health. You, you you nailed it. You know, it's you know proper diet and nutrition. You know, activity. Uh, physical activity, you know, again, you know, I, I would, you know, um, underscore or stress the importance of, of mental health, you know, and, you know, t- taking, you know, the time to take care of oneself in the true sense of the word. I mean, all those things are critical. And then, like you mentioned, you know, uh, health literacy, you know, around, um, you know, the uh, the the effects of, you uh, not just obesity, but, you know, uh, smoking, uh, cessation, and, and the importance of those programs in that regard, you know, and, and just, you know, many other, you know, factors that exist, you know, again, socially and environmentally that can impact one's health. So that's really where we need to spend a lot of time. We, we've, And that's one of the reasons, you know, frankly speaking, and, and you know, as I said earlier on, I spent time overseas, I, I did most of my training actually overseas, and, um, you know, there's a greater emphasis on on health in the true sense, not healthcare, health in the true sense of the word. And I believe that's one of the uh, primary reasons why healthcare is cheaper uh, overall in those countries.
1: Well, it's a, it's a complicated picture. And as you said, there's many pieces to the puzzle and putting them all together uh, can, you uh, Uh, all uh, directly affect the the amount of money that we spend on our health care and also become healthier. So, uh, well, at any rate, uh, thank you so much for talking about that uh, cost of health care and the rising cost and what uh, Blue Cross Blue Shield is doing. Uh, We've got one final segment, and we're going to talk about uh, challenges for insurers like Blue Cross Blue Shield and uh, federal and state legislation to watch Uh, in the coming months and things of this nature and we'll do that when we return with the final segment of carolina newsmakers with our guest dr tunde sutunde president and ceo of blue cross blue shield of north carolina
0: A message brought to you by NHTSA and the Ad Council. Carolina Newsmakers continues. And once again, here's Don Curtis.
1: Welcome back to Carolina Newsmakers. This week, we've been talking about health and health insurance. And we have had as our guest, Dr. Tunde Sotunde, who is the president and CEO of Blue Cross Blue Shield of North Carolina. Uh, the first segment, we talked about COVID-19 and its effects on not only Blue Cross Blue Shield, but on the state of North Carolina and how we've handled it. And we uh, talked about the affordable healthcare issues and uh, what needs to be changed there. And then we talked about the cost of healthcare in the last segment. Uh, This program of course is heard in uh, two different segments. A number of the stations carry the full hour. Others carry only a half hour version. So if you missed uh, those two segments on those half hour stations, you can go online to carolinanewsmakers.com and pick up those two segments. Uh, as well as uh, a broadcast of the entire program, if you'd like to share it with a friend. Well, um, Dr. Sedende, again, thank you so much for spending so much time with us and talking about it. Uh, Clearly, uh, our citizens in North Carolina are very concerned about uh, their health care and all the problems that are related to it. You know, North Carolina, I guess, is uh, is a rather unique state, and this probably... Uh, presents a lot of problems for Blue Cross Blue Seal. We have the major metropolitan areas where we have some outstanding hospitals. Uh, The Triangle area with uh, three major facilities, Charlotte, Greensboro, Asheville, um, Greenville. Um, But then we have so much of the state that is uh, uh, probably tremendously underserved. uh, Some of the smaller counties in the Northeast uh, the extreme West and so forth, what kind of problems does that create uh, for us in providing health care?
0: Yeah, no, you know, it, it, it's, you know, it creates challenges with, you know, primarily access to care in the manner you just described. And, um, you know, access to care, and let me rephrase that equitable access to care. Uh, has always been one of the challenges that we faced um, in in health insurance and and continue to face in that regard. I will say though that as time has elapsed, um, there's been a a couple of um, uh, enhancements or or improvements along the way that have allowed us to not 100% solve but at least to improve, you know, the access within the healthcare delivery system. So a couple of examples that I would highlight or underscore are the following. You know, one is, you know, with respect to um, providing and supporting, and, and we've done this at Blue Cross from an organizational and also from a uh, leveraging our foundation, which is a separate 501c3 um, entity, to expand uh, access to rural care through rural health clinics, right? So that has been, you know, one avenue. The other obviously within the healthcare system has been to, you know, continuously advocate for um, healthcare practitioners to be able to practice at the highest levels of their licensure. So for example, advanced nurse practitioners, you know, Uh, health uh, uh, education, uh, improving the health education workforce that exists within our rural communities. We've actually um, provided scholarships, you know, to community colleges, you know, in that regard to help, you know, increase the output of uh, such individuals. You know, we've also, you know, most recently, and I, I will have to confess, it was accelerated by this COVID pandemic we're all dealing with, expanded access to telehealth, right? So that individuals uh, across the state, wherever they may reside, right? Wherever they may work or live, could now access care, not just to primary care, but also to specialty care. So these tertiary centers, the UNCs, the Dukes, you know, the academic medical centers that you reference, you know, that are primarily in our major cities. Now, individuals in rural parts, you know, of the state can now access specialty care, you know, leveraging telehealth. Broadband access, is, you know, continues to be a challenge, but I know that, you know, we've made a lot of strides, you know, in, in that um, in that regard. Um, and then, you know, I, I would say that, um, you know, we've also, and I think this is, has where the coalition of of the willing, um, you know, comes into play. I think as an industry with respect to um, certificate of need and, you know, reforms that we've all talked about, you know, within that process, I think that is also another opportunity that presents itself or could present itself for us, you know, very surgically, let me use that term, and very thoughtfully identifying what are these opportunities, you know, within rural areas, but not just our rural areas across our state to provide for those services that today are significantly lacking or might be available, but are extremely expensive because you know there's a monopoly on those services. So there's not one single answer um, to that. Uh, you know, dilemma that we face, but I do feel that we do have some levers and we are pulling on those levers and we need to continue to accelerate the work in that regard.
1: So what are the biggest challenges for insurers like Blue Cross Blue Shield uh,
0: in the short term and long term? That's a great question, Don. I would say, let me start off with the long term. Um, providing for equitable access to affordable quality healthcare, to which healthcare coverage is foundational, to me is, has been, and will continue to be a challenge in the foreseeable future. And not only that, pushing healthcare further to be better, simpler, easier to navigate, because as we all know, even for I as a healthcare professional, as a patient, having to navigate through the system is, is, uh, is mind-boggling, <laughs> let me just put it that way, right? And then more affordable. So better, simpler, and more affordable healthcare, I think will continue to be a long-term challenge, but opportunity. I like to think about it in terms of opportunity for us. In the more near to medium term, I would say it comes down to the following. One is the COVID pandemic none of us has a crystal ball to be able to, with any level of certainty, determine what the short, medium, and long-term impact of the pandemic is going to be, not just on the health of our economy, but the health of all of us, right? All of us, our physical health, our mental health, emotional health, and so on. So that's one. Two is we have a new administration up in DC. So. What that is going to mean, or what could come down the pike with respect to legislation, uh, uh, regulation, healthcare policies, or policies that could impact healthcare as a whole, is yet to be seen and and will play out over time. And then the third that I would say is the uh, competitiveness uh, of, of of the healthcare environment. It's become super hyper competitive, uh, to say the least. We have, um, you know, not just the traditional competitors, you know, insurers, uh, so to speak, but we also, you know, now have a lot of provider consolidation, health plan consolidation going on, and everything in between. You know, we have a lot of um, private equity firms now coming into the healthcare space buying up healthcare assets, you know, startups and so on, um, you know, and um, we have what I've often described as disruptors, you know, we talked about, you know, uh, pharmacy calls. So uh, Amazon, as you might recall, purchased PillPack. So they're now, you know, in that line of business. Walmart is now selling Medicare insurance. So uh, the, the landscape is rapidly evolving as we speak. Well,
1: it's, a, it's an ever-changing situation. And I guess uh, uh, if we go back to even five years ago or 10 years ago and look at uh, the questions we might have uh, been talking about on the same program, some of those issues have been settled and some yet remain. So uh, is there any particular federal or state legislation that we should be watching uh, for this year as consumers?
0: Absolutely. So let me start off on the federal side uh, of the house. So, you know, big one is the American Rescue Plan that uh, was recently passed uh, and signed into law a couple of weeks ago as uh, the most, you know, recent uh, COVID relief package. I think it's to the tune of $1.9 trillion or, or something of that nature. But um, like I've referenced in a prior segment, it has provisions that should um, expand or extend healthcare coverage. So one is with respect to the expansion or extension extension of uh, tax credits, premium subsidies, cost sharing reductions to make healthcare more affordable within the uh, ACA individual under 65 marketplace. That's one. Uh, There are also provisions. That extend, that actually provide for 100% coverage of COBRA premiums, I believe it's through September, if I recall, so that individuals who unfortunately might lose their jobs still have access to healthcare coverage. There are provisions that will increase the federal match by about 5 percentage points for states that have not today expanded Medicaid, and North Carolina is one of, that, of those states, to make it more appealing for such states to expand Medicaid and offset the costs uh, to doing so. And then there are provisions that strengthen our safety net programs. Women's infant, and children, the WIC, Supplemental Nutrition Assistance Program, the uh, SNAP programs, and then many other programs that, you know, even more so have become increasingly important to meet the needs of our individuals and, and communities out there that have manifested even more so as a result of the pandemic. So that's one. The others around CON, I mentioned uh, certificate of need. We are all for CON reform, not full repeal, but I think that's an avenue to provide, you know, uh, for uh, access to care. And then surprise billing is another one. And I think that's one that we need to address, you know, as, as a health insurance industry.
1: We certainly appreciate you taking time to be with us. Our time is uh, rapidly coming to a conclusion. Dr. Tunde Satunde, President and CEO of Blue Cross Blue Shield. If you'd like to hear a repeat of this broadcast, you can go online to carolinanewsmakers.com and hear it. Jason Kong has produced our program and he'll have another guest for us next week on the same group of stations. Have a
0: good week.